Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio on this Sunday. Drew DeArmond is always with you, along with my outstanding co-host and producer, the Wizard, Thomas Watts. Uh, always enjoy his insight into everything. And, of course, our third amigo, William Redfish Barger, former University of Alabama offensive lineman and national champion, who from 89 to 93 was a key member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Always enjoy catching up with everybody. And, of course, a big topic of tonight is going to be recruiting because what uh, you know a Saturday it was for the University of Alabama. And, ironically, neither of the two – well, one of them was, I should say. But uh, they got two big flips on Saturday. One of them was on campus not taking his official visit, and the other flipped from the University of Michigan, giving them more scars from the Najee Harris situation a couple of years ago. Uh, as Dax Hill, the number one safety in the country and maybe as good a safety as has come down the pike in many a moon from Tulsa, Oklahoma, has committed to the University of Alabama. But I'm going to bring William Redfish Barger into the conversation. William, uh, I know, you know we've talked about Dax Hill some. He was committed to Michigan for a while there. It didn't look good as far as Alabama flipping him. But there had been some rumors and rumblings throughout the last couple of months that this might happen. A huge get for Nick Saban. Now, of course, people are anxious to see if he'll sign early. He wasn't going to sign early when he was committed to Michigan. I'm anxious to see if that changes now that he's flipped to Alabama. But nonetheless, a huge piece of the puzzle uh, for Nick Saban with Deontay Thompson likely headed to the NFL. Yeah, and there's some you know conflicting information out there um, since last night um, when when Dax Hill flipped to Alabama. Um, you know, some people were saying that he, like you said, he wasn't planning on being an early signee or an early enrollee um, while he was committed to Michigan. Um, now there is some speculation out there that while he may not end up being an early enrollee, that he might end up being an early signee. So we'll have to uh, only have to wait you know, a little bit over a week and a half to find out whether or not that comes to fruition or not. I think the early um, signing period begins on the 19th of December, which is really, you know, the middle part of next week. So, um, you know, but a great pickup. I mean, his his testing combine numbers are off the charts. Um, you know, just a, an elite 4-3-40 time, you know, 40-plus in the vertical jump. You know, has the potential end up being um, – you know, Nick Saban's best safety that he's ever produced, um, you know, if everything lines up. And, um, yeah, and I do think that would be beneficial to both him and the program, especially if, uh, you know, Deontay does end up heading off to the NFL, which looks like that's going to happen. If he could be an early enrollee and go through spring practice, um, you know, I think that's one of the – probably the only thing that kept, uh, you know, Patrick Sertain from nailing down that starting position in fall camp was – you know, he just wasn't on campus that long prior to that and didn't have the practice reps. But, you know, obviously they were uh, you know, able to get another highly coveted DB to flip yesterday um, while he was on campus and Jeffrey Carter. Um, you know, while he doesn't have the, the lofty rankings that Dax Hill does, um, a very highly coveted DB prospect for the staff. And, you know, you're starting to see, you know, some of the uh, new coaches, you know, earn their stripes. Uh, you know, great job by Carl Scott with Dax Hill with an assist from Tasha Lupoy staying with uh, Dax and his family even after the, the verbal commitment to Michigan back in the summer. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, um, Jeff Banks' relationship uh, from his time on the Texas A&M staff of, you know, recruiting uh, Jeffrey Carter, um, you know, came into play with, uh, you know, Carter's flip as well. Um, sounds like we've got another uh, – you know, colorful parent in the fold. Um, Jeffrey's father refers to himself and likes to be called Cowboy. Um, so that's uh, going to be something to pay close attention to going forward. I think he also likes to talk to the media a lot as well. So, um, you know, we, we might have another uh, Landon Collins uh, mama on our hands, an old Cowboy Carter. So, uh, but yeah, a, a great recruiting weekend. Um, it was really kind of unexpected, um, certainly on the Dax Hill. Uh, end and uh, you know got a chance to uh, have the momentum keep going tomorrow at 10 a.m. when the five-star offensive lineman from here in the state of Alabama Clay Webb makes his final decision and then uh, a little over a week later uh, you know the the five-star outside linebacker weak side defensive end KV on Thibodeau is scheduled to do the same thing so uh, could be a uh, plus all the other 
uh, you know, early guys like Evan Neal and uh, Trey Sanders, and those guys are all scheduled to make a final announcement, um, you know, somewhere between the 15th and the 19th next week as well. So going to be a busy couple of weeks here going into the Christmas holidays. No doubt about it. And just to update our listeners, we all, we, we have to update them on real-time stuff. But Amari Cooper is doing his uh, Auburn Iron Bowl impersonation on the Philadelphia Eagles right now as he has torched them for two straight long touchdowns. The Dallas Cowboys back in the lead 23-16. to A seven-catch, 182-yard, two-touchdown game so far for the incomparable Amari Cooper as he is now out of purgatory with the Raiders and he is a Dallas Cowboy. So it's been a big day. Julio Jones became the first receiver in NFL history uh, to have uh, yet another, I want to say, Thomas, you can help me here, but I want to say maybe he was at seven straight, 1,400-yard seasons. Uh, I know he has. he's had several now, which is an NFL record, despite the fact that the, the Falcons are a flaming dumpster fire uh, and need to change head coaches. Yeah, seventh, uh, 1,400 receiving yards for the fifth consecutive year. So it's five. Okay, five. Yes. I, I knew you'd have you could correct me if I was wrong. Okay, let's correct that. Five, but still just absolutely an amazing, an amazing uh, start to Julio Jones' career. And now the Philadelphia Eagles look like they may have tied the game and scored, depending on this flag. That's only the Dallas Cowboys that could blow it that fast. But anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, just Julio and just an incomparable. He and Amari Cooper just, I think both one day will be enshrined in Canton, Ohio. Uh, the Raiders, stupidly, not featuring him in their offense. Don't really understand that. But uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, run for Julio Jones. But uh, to get back to it, and Williams Wright, I mean, Dax Hill, is it's just an amazing flip for Alabama from Michigan because he's a guy that, as Williams said, if he could enroll early, he would have a really good chance, I think, to uh, come, on, come in uh, and, uh, and start as a freshman. But if he does not, uh, it probably will only be because of the fact uh, that he didn't enroll early. I think he'll get involved. I think he'll be on the field a lot. I think he's a Minka Fitzpatrick level talent, uh, and we saw Minka did all did all that without early enrolling, which is amazing because of uh, you know a late graduation uh, in uh, in uh, you know uh, in uh, New Jersey. So we'll see what happens with Dax Hill, and then Jeffrey Carter flipping from Texas A and M. This had been in the in the in the uh, you know in the works for several months and I've been told by people that I respect that he's a very good cover corner very good technique and I think he's a guy uh, that uh, can also get in the mix uh, you know at Alabama and down the road by the time he's a sophomore uh, be heavily involved so those were two huge flips and in a it's the perfect world scenario that Alabama if for them to 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 finish the way they wanted to in the secondary was to get Dax Hill and Jeffrey Carter. And so now Carter, you know, he, he's already been on his official to Texas A&M. I'm sure they're going to try to get him back on campus. But I think Alabama, I, I was told that uh, Jeffrey Carter was very adamant. I mean, his dad was a little skittish, uh, but he, uh, but uh, once they got down on the visit. But uh, Jeffrey was very adamant about flipping. He'd been wanting to do it for a while. And that's a, I was told by the same source with Dax Hill that that was really going to hurt Texas A&M because Jeffrey Carter is a high-quality DB. And, William, I know with the class last year that they've had on the field, uh, you know, with Patrick Sertain leading the way, and I know they really like Josh Job in the future and guys like Eddie Smith and Savion's got one more year left, but these two back-to-back classes are really going to restock the cupboard in the secondary. Yeah, it is, and you know, I'm, I'm with you. I still think Alabama's got a lot of uh, <clears throat> to-be-determined talent out of that DB class they signed last year. Um, you know, we still have to wait and see, um, you know, how Jalen Armour Davis recovers from that torn True. ACL. Yes, good point. Uh, but that was a, a, a massive DB haul that they pulled together last year. Um, you know, and obviously Patrick Sertain, and for proven good reasons now, was the headliner of that bunch. But, but there's several other, you know, DB prospects that they're very high on that I think will, you know, emerge down the road, you know, like you just talked about. And, again, you know, they've got a, uh, you know, a nice class that they're putting together in the back end of the defense right now to go along with, you know, what may end up being the greatest of all time uh, line of scrimmage class um, when you factor in the, you know, what Alabama's already got on the, the paper right now on the commitment list 
you know, three of the top six defensive ends in the country, and Antonio Alfano, uh, uh, Bryant Young, and uh, uh, Justin Abogie, or however you pronounce his name. Abogie, like yep. yep. Yeah, I hate to sound like the guy from the Heisman Trophy last night, but that one gets me every <laughs> time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, you know, when, when when you look at what they possibly are going to end up with along the offensive line and at the linebacker position, it's just, just you know, there, there's nobody in college football that's ever done a better job of, of reloading a position group um, as quickly as Nick Saban does. And, and you know, this, this especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, if they end up getting all the guys that people think that they're either tied for or leading for right now that aren't currently committed, it's going to be off the charts. Yeah, you know, it, William, they say uh, it has a chance to be the highest rated class from a star standpoint and point standpoint of all time. If Because I think even though they're at 23 commitments right now, there's there's flexibility with two or three of them. And I think that we, we may see somebody like Christian Williams from Daphne High School end up at LSU. Uh, there's a, I think there's a, a, you know, Tanner Bowles could end up a gray shirt situation. I think we all know the financial situation for Paul Tyson and his family. So, there, you know, there's some flexibility there. So there's enough room, I think, at least for seven or eight more guys. And that's counting Clay Webb, who uh, we would hope would, would be smart and choose the University of Alabama uh, and not play for the peckerhead Kirby Freeze. I mean, smart uh, for Georgia. And so, I mean, because if he's thinking about it rationally, Alabama's depth chart is even more, you know, favorable than Georgia's. So we're going to see that that odyssey come to an end at 10 a.m. tomorrow with Clay Webb. And then later on this week, William kind of uh, was uh, foreshadowing it, Kevon Thibodeau uh, from uh, Oaks Christian High School out in California. Some people believe the number one player in America. He is set to, to choose his school. And there's a lot of buzz about Alabama right now over Oregon and that Tosh Lupoy may be about to work some more magic. William, uh, your thoughts on perhaps picking up Thibodeau this week as well. Well, you know, I think Alabama's in a very enviable position, um, you know, with the last um, outside linebacker position. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, I think that, that Thibodeau is probably the more polished player, maybe more SEC ready to play right now. But for some reason, if they miss on him, I'm not so sure that the Boggle kid um, mm. doesn't have more upside yeah, um, he might have a higher higher ceiling two years down the road. So I think it's a you know a win win situation there. Only at Alabama could you have uh, you know two guys vying for one spot that are as highly valued by so many programs in the country. And um, I think, however, that ends up working out. And I agree with you, Drew. I do think Tosh is possibly um, on the verge of working his magic once again. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of the confidence has eroded from, from the Oregon end, uh, you know, coming off of his official visit there um, in the last week, and that, that momentum's continued to build, um, you know, since Nick Saban and Tosh LePoy went out there for their in-home visit last week. So don't have a long time to wait and find out. Um, you know, there's, there's already been some, some crystal ball predictions come in uh, predicting Thibodeau to Alabama, but I think we all know those aren't something that you need to – uh, you know, right down with ink, you might need to use a number two pencil with an eraser on it. But, but there does seem to be some some building momentum there with Thibodeau to Alabama. Yeah, there does. And uh, Thibodeau uh, is an outstanding talent. There's no doubt about it. And uh, he, he would add some pass rush help. And then, you know, just you, if, you, if you look at it going down the stretch uh, with Alabama and where they stand in the committed process, uh, I started thinking about this. I mean, I know they're visiting Georgia this weekend and of course, predictably, there's confidence on the Georgia end that they're going to sign half of the country, and uh, they always seem to do that, yet they still choke and lose to Alabama. But anyway, uh, they, uh, you know, uh, they've, uh, Alabama seems to be in the driver's seat for Trey Sanders, for Evan Neal. Uh, we've talked about Clay Webb, we, and, uh, and now you know, they've, uh, they've, they're, there's still uh, some speculation out there. Uh, and then, of course, Kevon Thibodeau. So there's probably, I, I would say, a handful of guys, probably as many as seven, William, that Alabama would still, you know, uh, include in this class and make fit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about N'Kobe Dean. Yep, N'Kobe uh, Dean and Henry T. Yep, yep. You know, the inside linebacker prospect from 
from Mississippi. He's supposed to do something in the next week. Um, you know, Henry T is another guy that will have a place in this class. Um, you know, he's not an early signee or an early enrollee. His, his uh, recruitment's going to go down to National Signing Day. Um, his official visit to Alabama will be after the first of the year. So that's at least one guy that, um, along with uh, Saucer, the defensive tackle from Louisiana, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're going to have to go all the way to February for. So um, there, there's at least two, uh, you know, pieces of drama that Alabama fans will, you know, at least have the uh, – uh, the ability to follow and, and, you know, worry about and fret about till, till the first week in February. Well, and William, if they get those seven guys and you did a good job with Henry T and Nicobe Dean, and then, uh, as you said, and then, uh, Ismail Sopcher, uh, if they can finish with these level of targets, most of all these guys are really five-star talents. Uh, would, would there be any weakness in the class? Because I think it's also a good sign to me. And I think we, you would agree with me on this. We've talked about this throughout the process uh, that uh, uh, that uh, Keon Zipperer, the tight end from Lakeland, Florida, there doesn't seem to be any more buzz about Alabama with him. To me, that would tell me that there may be growing confidence that uh, that uh, Irv Smith may come back for his senior season. Yeah, and and I think that's probably a good a good thing. You know, I think that's probably the advice that Nick Saban will give Irv. Um, you know, once they sit down and talk about his draft grade, I mean, he's got an opportunity, um, you know, next year to, uh, you know, end up being the top tight end in college football. I, I think you could probably make a pretty good debate that he was this year, but, you know, kind of a deep draft for, for tight ends already coming out. And, um, you know, I, but I, I do think that's one of the reasons why you've seen a lot of that buzz with zipper kind of fade to black is, uh, and also, too, I mean, you know, can Alabama, it's kind of like the, the running back situation with all the numbers and the, the people that they're taking elsewhere. Um, you know, they're not going to take another wide receiver, and there's probably not room now in this class to take a second tight end or a second running back. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of these, you know, questions are, are starting to get answered as we creep further, you know, into the month of December. And, uh, no, no, I don't think there's a, uh, you know, a weakness in the class and, um you know the um you could you could possibly say that you know maybe they 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 could have taken more wide receivers but they felt like they had you know higher needs elsewhere and also much like they've done this year with the o-line and d-line class they feel like they've got a chance to stockpile those guys back up in the 2020 class and then william uh i it's an interesting point but if keelan robinson does ultimately flip uh to uh, the uh, to uh, Maryland to go with Mike Loxley. Do you think that he that they will uh, you know uh, re- ha- bring in another running back? I know there's been some talk of the young man in Florida that's uh, committed to Appalachian State right now. Or do you uh, do you think they're going to uh, go a- a- another position? Well, could we see a guy like Jordan Battle still be a take for Alabama? You know, with the numbers out there, I don't think so on the DB side of it. And I think it would take, you know, losing Trey Sanders for them to take another running back, mm-hmm. you know, unless they get some sort of, you know, firm signal from Josh Jacobs that he's going to come out early. Right. Um, I, I just think I just think that there's pressing needs elsewhere. Now, you know, it depends also on where, um, you know, Williams sits on the board overall as a prospect. But when you look at the needs, especially with Alabama, I mean, yeah, with Alabama uh, expected to lose both of their inside linebackers after next year's season. Um, you know, everybody knows that Mac Wilson's, you know, going to be a senior. And, and um, Dylan Moses is, is probably going to turn pro. I mean, he was a finalist for the Buckets Award this year um, and only his first year to start um, as a full-time starter, I should say. So, you know, I just think that they've got, you know, too many other guys at other positions where they feel like they need, you know, you, you can certainly understand uh, wanting to load up at both the inside and outside linebacker spots with the, the injury situations that they've had to deal with the last two years at those spots. Um, you know, certainly the defensive line has to be a priority with, with Bugs and Williams going pro this year. And, uh, you know, they've got, they've got to have guys that can come in and play early and often there. So I would be surprised if, if there is another DB taken and another running back as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where all the final uh, – if, if they keep all the hay in the barn or if there are some defections 
but as we we, we expect, we uh, we think there will be at least two or three defections uh, in the end. Uh, I know I know there's been some talk about uh, uh, you know uh, about uh, uh, Helms the, the the safety from uh, Demaffa High School maybe flipping to Maryland, but I know he was uh, pretty uh, adamant on Twitter the other day about not flipping. So haven't heard anything more about that situation. Uh, but uh, we'll continue to monitor it. Uh, it looks like a very strong finish, and that was the inclination I was getting before we knew for sure about Dax Hill and Jeffrey Carter. Carter, I was expecting. Dax Hill was an extremely pleasant surprise, and so Alabama looks like they are definitely stockpiling uh, great talent along uh, that defensive uh, side of the football to complement another outstanding offensive class, though I think really this is going to be defensive heavy and has a chance to have some special guys. Williams already talked about, uh, you know, Byron Young, too. Hopefully, he's going to sign early. I know he was on campus this weekend. There was some thought that he would wait and not sign early. I have no idea why on the he would even uh, – there was, you know, some, some worry about him visiting Ole Miss, why he would do that right now. I have no clue because they're a dumpster fire on defense. But they did finally make their hire today. Mike McIntyre looks like he's getting a three-year, $1.5 million deal per season, which was on the table for Pete Golding. Pete Golding did not take the Ole Miss job, though that was erroneously reported by Shocker, Neil McCready, and some other muttonheads in the media that are Ole Miss homers that uh, completely over, you know, uh, completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, misread that deal. But he's not going to Ole Miss. Now, I know Oklahoma has still considered uh, continue to pursue Pete Golding, but from what I understand, he is not going to go to Oklahoma as well. Nick Saban wants him to stay. And there's some interesting things about Josh Gaddis, too. Josh Gaddis had been thought to be uh, linked to, to maybe going with Mike Loxley. That looks like it's not going to be the case right now, William, but uh, former Saban staffer Jeff Collins has left Temple to go to Georgia Tech, and it looks like two Alabama aides, Butch Jones and Josh Gaddis are in the top three for the Temple job. Yeah, that was going to be the next thing that I brought up because it, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with recruiting. But you know, just in the last week, um, you know, I thought it was comical that so many people were concerned about Josh Gaddis going with Mike Loxley to Maryland. Um, much in the same way that you know, you're you're not going to see an Alabama recruit that Nick Saban really wants to keep slip and go to Maryland with Mike Loxley. Right. Uh, much in the same way, you're not going to see, you know, Josh Gaddis, you know, give up the, the job at Alabama to, uh, you know, go up there to a, basically a place that's very difficult to win. You know, they, they don't have, uh, you know, especially in the last 30 years, a really good uh, tradition of, uh, you know, being a very good football program. Now, you might see Mike Loxley, um, you know, much in the same way with, with Kirby Smart when he left and went to Georgia. You might see him you know, promote some guys from behind the scenes in the front office positions, um, you know, and take them with him. But nobody significant is expected to go with Mike Slot. Mike Loxley, you know, Pete Golding's not going to take the old Miss job. I don't expect him to take the old uh, the Oklahoma job either. You know, he, he's possibly one more season away from becoming Alabama's full-time defensive coordinator. Um, you know, Tosh Lapoy got some, got some feelers and some interest on the Colorado job. Um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, you know, another good performance from Tosh Lapoid next year. He's probably going to get a big-time college coaching position, head coaching position. And now I will say this, um, you know, the, the, the Temple job, certainly from the head coaching standpoint, would be very attractive to Josh Gaddis. He's, a, you know, kind of a, been a mainstay for the last four or five years on the East Coast from a, you know, from a recruiter standpoint. Um, but there again, I mean, he's, uh, you know, in a position at Alabama where he's got, I think, you know, if you look at what he's got in front of him, um, you know, he's got a chance in, in, in one or maybe two draft classes, um, you know, to put three or four first rounders um, in the next two years into the NFL, um, which would look great on his resume. And, and there again, you know, do you just run out there and take the first head coaching offer that you get? It's at a, you know, even at a more difficult place to win and be successful at in Temple versus, uh, you know, what Mike Loxley's walking into at Maryland. So uh, I'm sure he would be tempted, but I would be surprised to see him take that job. He might have better opportunities, um, you know, if he sits back and waits another year. And that's one of the benefits of being a, you know, a Nick Saban assistant 
um, you know, much in the same way when Kirby Smart tried to lure Tosh Lapoy with him to Georgia. Um, you know, hey, uh, hey, Josh, um, add fifty grand to uh, what the other guy was going to pay, and we'll come up with some other bullshit title to tack onto your your resume when we get back to Tuscaloosa. So um, it, it's just a a great position to be in. You're making more money than you can make anywhere else at the college level as a position coach. And, uh, you know, like you saw with Kirby Smart, like you saw with Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, these guys end up getting big-time job offers, um, you know, once they've proven themselves under the Nick Saban coaching tree. Yeah, they have. They really have. And uh, and and you're right. Gaddis could probably get a better job. Actually, if, if, uh, he, if he can uh, – uh, wow them in the interview process, I think that would probably be a good job to restart the career of Butch Jones. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there again, um, you know, may, maybe Butch Jones gets that job, but, you know, there also seems to be some um, some buzz if he doesn't get a head coaching job offer somewhere else that possibly he could be the, you know, the guy that, that Nick Saban promotes to replace Mike Loxley's spot, not as the offensive coordinator, obviously, uh, but if Nick Saban decides to use that that extra coaching spot on the offensive side of the football, it sounds like Butch Jones, um, you know, certainly under consideration for that. Um, but you know, a lot of moving parts right now. Um, you know, it'll be, you know, great in my opinion once finals are over with and everything's you know put to bed um, after next week once they get back on the practice field. Um, you know, the early, and this, you know, this is great right now because it gives them a chance to close out on this early signing period. They're, they're in the process of doing a much better job of finishing this part of the recruiting class off than they did last year um, in its inaugural year, talking about the early signing period. So I, I think they would really like to uh, finish this off and finish what they started and, and put that behind them uh, during the dead period and get, start getting focused on the Oklahoma game. Yeah, it's uh, definitely. I don't think there's any question about it. And then I was going to bring our colleague Thomas Watts into the conversation. Thomas, we saw how the Heisman Trophy uh, unfolded uh, this past uh, Saturday night. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of optimism after Tua Tungavailoa won the Maxwell Award. Uh, also, was named Walter Camp Player of the Year. Got his share of honors, but uh, it all kind of worked out. I think the way everyone thought that Kyler Murray was going to win a close vote. Certainly, former and present Alabama football players were not happy about it, and that he did not win the Heisman. And uh, they, it's almost the sad that they based it off one game where now you know that Tua was hurt in the first series and tried to gut it out, and just and they, you know really caused him to not play well. Uh, unfortunately, at a very p- bad time in that, that race, because looks like uh, the majority, uh, is, as much as ninety percent of the votes, did not come in until that last weekend, and so. Uh, but uh, certainly it'll be a, a point of motivation for Alabama going into the preparation for the Orange Bowl. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up with how the votes were cast is to talk a little more about Tua's performance right. in, this, in the SEC championship game. And I, I bring it up because I don't really understand some of the criticism that came out in that game. No, Tua did not play fantastically well. But go back and look at the throws that he missed, or that that just didn't work out. The uh, He threw late to Henry Ruggs on the first series. He threw late that was an interception. Then he had uncharacteristic drops that cut a huge chunk out of his statistics. And then... This is based on the injury. He flat missed Jalen Waddle on the second interception. That ball should have been up between the A and the L because they were going into the AL to the Alabama end zone, and he threw it in the wrong spot. But you know, it, the the uh, when people when people gain the right to vote for an award like this, they have to be cognizant of their own recency biases as well as you know, try and contextualize what one data point is in an entire season's worth. I feel like in many cases, such things fell to the wayside. And that's very unfortunate. And frankly, I question many voters' football IQ because of it. But anyway, moving on from that little bit of sour grapes, I think one of the more important things to talk about is 
you know, Kyler Murray got the won the Heisman Trophy. Way to go, Kyler Murray! You you get all you earned all the accolades. Blah blah blah. There is literally nothing worse that could have happened to the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday, short of Lincoln Riley's leg falling off going <laughs> into this game. I, I I firmly believe that you saw it with Alabama defensive players. You know, Mac Wilson, the Lord of all Alabama Twitter trolls, got in on the action, and other defensive players brought it up. You know, you you can literally run down the gamut of Alabama football players. And this would not be the first time that a defense comes out. It's like, you took the Heisman Trophy from my guy. We're going to beat you senseless. And with that in mind, I actually want to ask William, you know, the former football player here, how would something like the Heisman Trophy scenario that we just witnessed yesterday play out? How's that going to play in the Alabama locker room as bowl prep continues, William? You know, Thomas, it, it's kind of hard for me to even try and interject myself or speculate on that because it's, you know, there was no internet, there, there was no social media, um, you know, when I was playing. You know, I, I don't have a problem with it at all. It went exactly how I thought it would. You know, to me, it wasn't the the bad throws and the drops that, that probably um, – swayed some of the people that were on the fence. It was the two interceptions and the god-awful sacks that he took um, that, that goes to show you that, you know, there is still some some things that he needs to work on in his development as a quarterback. Um, you know, the, the, the Vulance DeLuke versus Vanderbilt last year um, was a great play that he pulled off, but you saw against Georgia last year in the national championship game and again this year in the SEC championship game. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to have enough time to pull that thing off. And um, yeah, that's just something that, that I thought personally. That, to me, this wasn't even a um, Kyler Murray versus Tua Tungavailoa discussion for the Heisman. It was the fact that Tua got play, outplayed badly by Jake Fromm in the SEC championship game. Um, what Jake Fromm did a lot better than Tua in that game was distributing the ball to his running backs on checkdowns and dump-offs. There, there's nothing wrong. Uh, with flipping the ball five yards to a five-star running back and letting them pick up seven yards when there's nothing there downfield. So while while it's great and makes for good uh, fairy tales and, and discussions, um, you know, to, to make something out of nothing 20 to 30 yards down the field, the smart play football-wise is to dump those balls off and let those guys take what they can get. And um, so I, I've got no problem at all. Um, you know, with how it turned out. You know, I thought there was going to be some sentiment there anyway with Murray, you know, being gone and Tua having a chance to win it next year. I think that was probably on some of the voters' minds as well. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of individual awards anyway. Um, you know, Tua got um, rewarded for, for being the best quarterback in the country um, at the award show. Um, so, and I, you know, just speaking on it, totally from a speculation standpoint. Um, I, I don't think it's going to play forward very well as far as the, the motivation and stuff, uh, you know, going forward. I mean, those guys on defense, um, you know, are going to have to put the Heisman out of their mind and realize, that, you know, this is, a, you know, the best quarterback that they've faced uh, since Deshaun Watson um, in back-to-back years. So, you know, he's a guy that can extend plays with his legs. He can make all the throws. Um, now, it does look to be iffy if, if Oklahoma is going to have their best wide receiver um, of Hollywood available for this game. That'll be a big blow to their downfield passing game if he's not. So, there's, you know, Mac Wilson needs to be a lot more concerned with his assignments and picking <laughs> up running backs on wheel routes and, and underneath routes and the tight ends uh, versus, the, you know, running around and dropping bullshit bombs on Twitter. Oh, I completely uh, agree with that one. Well, uh, William, no doubt about it. I mean, there's just no doubt uh, that uh, that Mac Wilson needs to focus on the game and and focus on playing better football. Uh, I did I did think it was interesting some of the tweets he was dropping the last several days where it made it sound like he was going to come back for a senior season. We'll see about that. I think he would be wise, and if he would mature in his approach, I think he could be a better player. No doubt about it. But we will see if that actually uh, comes to fruition. Uh, no doubt about it. We've talked about Irv Smith. We've talked about Josh Jacobs a little bit. I think they could all benefit from coming back, even though it's a weak running back class. So we'll see what kind of playoff uh, that uh, Josh Jacobs has. Because I think we all remember last year, William, going in, 
to this uh, process, we thought there was still a chance Deron Payne could come back. And quite frankly, he was the most dominant force in the college football playoff. And that led to him making the wise decision to leave early and becoming a high draft pick of the Washington Redskins. Yeah, and you know, I, while Drew was talking, Thomas, I think probably the better response I could have given you on uh, you know, how, how Murray went in the Heisman was going to play out in the Alabama locker room, I think there might be a uh, uh, much better dynamic that we need to discuss and, and look forward uh, or look to going forward uh, was the fact that Quentin Williams was pissed off that he wasn't invited to New York City himself. So <laughs> there, there, there might That's be a right. bigger issue in Alabama's own locker room from that standpoint than Murray winning it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Quinn and uh, it's so funny, William, how you mentioned that. So I just for the hell of it, uh, in, a, in a group message that someone asked this week, I picked my all Nick Saban team, you know, from, from 2007 to this point. And until Quinn and Williams had the year he had, I would have put Deron Payne on my all Saban team. But I decided to, uh, he and Eddie Jackson were probably the two toughest decisions for me. And I left he and Eddie Jackson off because I, Terrence Cody was such a dominant force, though you could easily put Payne in for Cody. But it was just a, a very difficult decision. And so uh, I, and because of Quinn and, cause I had to put Quinn and Williams on there because and, uh, and he was, he's just been as dominant a football player as we've seen uh, at Alabama. And his rise, I mean, we saw it out of Payne for three years, but it's been a pretty remarkable season for Quinn and Williams and what he's been able to accomplish. Well, I would have I would have put Payne and Williams on there long before Cody. I mean, he was a one dimensional player. Understand? Um, you know, I, you know, Payne was more dynamic um, in all the different you know facets of defensive line play than Cody was, and, and I think Williams was even more so than Payne. You know, he's a uh, you know much better pass rusher, got a little bit more versatility in being able to play all the different positions, mm-hmm. um, and certainly it makes it difficult because. Um, you know, Quinnen just did it basically in a season and a half, um, you know, last year with him not even being a starter. But, you know, you just – I mean, that, that was one of the most uh, – well, I said it probably back in November. Um, even though with only one full season as a starter, you know, he, he's the most dominant defensive lineman easily of the Nick Saban era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, probably the only guy that I think could give him a run for his money um, – in what I consider the modern era of college football, 1980 till present day, would be John Copeland. Um, I think he's the most dominant Alabama defensive lineman that I've seen in my lifetime. So, um, and I think he's fixing to get rewarded financially very well for that. It certainly seems that way that he's going to be a top five draft pick, maybe even higher than that. I mean, uh, with uh, how dominant he's been, anxious to see you know, uh, how he does in the college football playoff and if he can be just as effective against Oklahoma. What's been amazing about him is just the solo and assisted tackles he's in on. He seems almost unblockable uh, each game, uh, game in and game out. I mean, no question about that uh, for uh, the University of Alabama. And uh, and uh, I know we've been monitoring it via social media, and I know he was quoted as saying some things at the Heisman ceremony, but uh, pretty remarkable that uh, – He's already out of the walking boot and didn't have wasn't on the scooter at the Heisman ceremony. Looks like the the recovery is coming along quite nicely, William, on this uh, high ankle sprain surgery for Tua Tungavaloa. Yeah, you know I think a lot of people were expecting to see uh, you know Tua with an amputated leg and Talia with an <laughs> amputated shoulder, uh, but both of them look to be in good health. I mean, that's that's a you know I think probably the. Um, the best thing about the ceremony to me was, you know, the focus, not just on the family, but, you know, the impact that they've had on their whole community back in Hawaii, um, you know, the, the leap of faith that the family took, you know, moving here um, from, from the islands and, uh, you know, settling in at Alabaster, Alabama. You know, both the mom and the dad had to find jobs. You know, they had to find a high school for Leah to go to. And, I um, mean, it's, you couldn't have sat down, I don't think, two years ago and, you know, plotted and planned this thing, thing out any better. You know, both sons have, have done, you know, fantastic things, uh, respectively, in, in their college and high school careers um, here in the state of Alabama. And um, this, the whole family, I think, represents themselves in a first-class manner. You, you know, you saw Nick Saban, the way he gushed about Tua last night at the Heisman ceremony. 
And, um, you know, I think that, that that's one thing that you can say about, um, you know, Nick Saban's teams year in and year out. I mean, sure, there's going to be some bad apples. There is in every barrel. But, you know, there, there's more and more kids, um, you know, that fall under the, the Tua Tungavailoa and the Jalen Hurts, um, you know, type of young men. You know, I think Ross Pierce Baker is another guy that, um, you know, is an outstanding young man off the field, Jonah Williams as well. You know, for those of you guys, I, I'm not a social media guy. I don't have Twitter or Instagram, but I don't know if y'all are aware of this or not, but since the uh, um, the, the uh, reveal on the the, the reveal on the uh, the new nutrition center came about in August, yeah. um, and Jonah Williams was kind of featured on there. For those of you that do have uh, social media presence, uh, Jonah now has his own Instagram page called Jonah Eats, <laughs> and uh, has has become kind of an Instagram sensation with uh, his recipes and you know the stuff that he cooks, and and you know people will send him. Uh, you know, ideas of stuff that they want to see him cook and take pictures of and post on Instagram. So it's uh, it's a pretty cool follow. Um, you know, if that's if that's something that you're into. Um, so uh, you know, and I think you see you know wonderful stories all the way across the board. If you saw the the story that came out over the weekend about Josh Jacobs and his dad um, and his brothers and sisters living in a car in the hotel rooms. Um, throughout his last year of high school, you know, part of that involved his son Braxton. And, uh, you know, when he first got to Alabama, um, his first year, he was more comfortable sleeping on the floor in his dorm room versus in the bed, because that's what he was used to doing was sleeping in the back seat of his dad's suburban and on hotel room floors. So his younger siblings could have the bed. So there's just, you know, one, you know, just, you know, heartwarming story after another. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this stuff gets overshadowed by the number one recruiting classes and the trophies and the, you know, the number one draft picks. But, man, if you, if you start peeling that onion back and looking at um, the, the, the human uh, side of this sport that you don't get to see a lot, and, you know, of course, everybody thinks that Nick Saban's this, you know, maniacal, you know, college football robot. Um, and he really does some wonderful and impressive th- impressive things with these kids and their families behind the scenes. Yeah, he really does, and uh, it's been pretty amazing. And and then speaking of behind the scenes, William, what are you hearing on the offensive coordinator search? Now that we've seen Hugh Freeze go to Liberty University with a five-year contract and take a head coaching job, it really seems like everything is pointing to Dan Enos being elevated to, head, to offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Well, I never bought into the Hugh Freeze offensive coordinator rumors to begin with. I still think that, uh, you know, inside the the confines of the SEC office, there's still a big push. um, And whatever influence they can yield to keep Hugh Freeze from coaching in the SEC this year, um, you know, I think there's a reason why he took – how how ironic is it that he – ended up landing as the head coach of a religious university like Liberty. <laughs> uh, no, number one, um, I, you know, hopefully he'll stay off of Twitter with his uh, scripture and, and all that other stuff that, that, you know, obviously he wasn't walking the walk with all the talk he was talking. But um, I think it's been a foregone conclusion, um, you know, since Mike Loxley accepted the Maryland job that Danny Enos was going to be the next guy up. Um, you know, he's got a proven track record uh, with what he's done at other stops. You know, certainly he's a, a, a certifiable QB whisperer. Uh, I expect him to be the guy. You know, there's a, a level of comfort, um, you know, with the expectation <clears throat> that Jalen Hurts is probably going to transfer out after the, the bowl games are over with. Uh, but, you know, there's a level of comfort now with Tua and, uh, and Mac Jones as well. Um, you know, certainly he's been involved with recruiting both Talia and Paul Tyson in this recruiting cycle, along with the 2020 commit Carson Beck. Now, he is a guy that I do think um, could possibly end up being the next guy to get a head coaching job off of, off of Nick Saban's staff. That's certainly something to keep an eye on. But I expect him to be named at some point the next offensive coordinator. It's it's one of those things that falls under the, you know, keep it, um, you know, simple, stupid. Um, you know, saying, I mean, it's just, you, you just segue into that and there's, a, you know, some cohesion already there with the, with the players. 
Uh, I mean, I think the $64,000 question will be, um, you know, what is Nick Saban, what direction does Nick Saban decide to go with on the, uh, the extra coach yeah. um, that he'll have available? That's, yeah, that's the thing I want to see because you don't have to have a certain number on offense and defense. I do think it'll be a recruiter to replace Mike Loxley. And I just want to let our fans know as we're winding down this BAMS radio that the unbelievable night for Amari Cooper just came to an end in overtime. He caught his 10th pass that was deflected by the DB. He stayed with it. He caught it, ran it into the end zone. The Dallas Cowboys win 29-23 in overtime over the Eagles. The incomparable Amari Cooper with 10 catches for 217 yards and three touchdowns in his new uh, Dallas Cowboys uniform. So what an impact he has had on the Cowboys as uh, another Bama guy putting on a show uh, on, the, on Sundays in the NFL. What a game for him as the Dallas Cowboys now 8-5 and five and looking like they can win the division unbelievably when they were in the toilet just about a month and a half ago. But uh, what an ending there. And I, I agree with William. I think, go ahead, William. No, I was going to say, since we're making announcements, I just got a text from somebody that I trust. Right. Uh, despite all the guarantees by Fourth and Kirby of guaranteeing that he and uh, Dan Lanning were going to end up finagling the final in-home visit with the five-star linebacker, N'Kobe Dean, uh, N'Kobe Dean just announced that, in fact, his last in-home visit prior to him making his uh, announcement will be with Nick Saban and Pete Golding. Nice. And, of course, Pete Golding uh, has the best relationship with N'Kobe and his mother, and I think Alabama making a big move for N'Kobe Dean. I know he has been seen with Alabama paraphernalia in the last several days at his high school at Horn Lake, which won uh, their state championship in the state of Mississippi. He also won the high school Butkus Award uh, for the uh, for high school football. So uh, Nicobe Dean continuing to rack it up, and he will be leaving this week for the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game as well. As he was, he and his uh, and his uh, Mississippi teammates will take on uh, the his, the opponents from the state of Alabama. Should be interesting because Talia Tungabailoa with his banged up shoulder likely is not playing in that game. Who will replace him? Could it be Paul Tyson, who wasn't originally on the roster uh, due to Bo Nix and Talia? Or could it be a guy that won the state championship over Talia? Uh, the young man headed uh, to, uh, to, to LSU. We will see. Uh, you know, uh, he had a big game as a dual threat quarterback headed uh, to LSU uh, for uh, the Central Phoenix City Red Devils. No doubt about it. Uh, and he uh, he has a lot of talent in his own right. It's a great year for quarterbacks in the state of Alabama, no doubt about it. But uh, we it's going to be an interesting next several days, and uh, I know we'll come with you, to you next week. We should have some more recruiting information. We should be able to go over the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game uh, and continue uh, to cover that. And uh, recruiting will be in the final stretch before the early signing period, as it will be a week from this Wednesday as they will start signing and. William, it's kind of interesting. February is still, you know, a pretty big deal. But uh, this first February, or excuse me, this first signing period in December on the 19th, Alabama is probably going to look to get 85 to 90 percent of the hay in the barn. Yeah, and you know, talking about when listening to you talk about Nicobe Dean brought something up to yep. uh, in my mind that I'm, I'm really hoping it happens, and because if it does it'll finally put to rest of, of one of the most overrated and, and over-talked-about topics of the Nick Saban era. You know, I'm, I'm really hoping that Pete can close out. You know, he's already got Byron Young. Um, you know, if he can get Kobe Dean and, and, you know, help seal the deal with uh, Ishmael Sopcher, then finally, hopefully, the ghost of Bo freaking Davis will finally go away. I'm so sick of hearing about Bo Davis. <laughs> well, I mean – Trust me, I still hear about it all the time. Got to bring Bo back. Got to bring Bo back. I think Coach Cool has done a fine job. I think the recruiting has been great. I mean, I don't see where Bo fits right now on the staff at the University of Alabama. I know he wants to come back, uh, but in many ways, the reason he's gone was his own volition and his own doing. So, he, I mean, he did a good job with the D-line, no doubt about it, but Alabama has continued to win championships since Bo Davis left the University of Alabama, and certainly you need recruiters, but there's been nobody in history better than Nick Saban at building a coaching staff 
and we look for that to continue. Peter Parrish, of course, uh, was the, the young man I was saying I was referring to that committed to LSU, had a great state title game. And, of course, we will continue to monitor the situations with Keelan Robinson and DeMarco Helms to see if they stick with Alabama. We do think – I think Helms is very likely to stick. We will see with Keelan Robinson and see what position Alabama might look to. Could they till, still take Jordan Battle? I read something as we were having the show that Jordan Battle's dad has come out and said that Alabama and Ohio State are tied atop his son's recruitment with Oklahoma a close third or second or however you want to phrase it. Uh, but going to be interesting to see if Alabama tries to find room for Jordan Battle down the stretch of the season. We will see uh, of recruiting, and which is another season all unto itself. But, uh, Thomas, is there anything else you want to add as we're about to wind down this last few minutes of BAM's radio tonight? Oh, no. I, I am not a recruiting guy, but it's, been, it's kind of fun to watch. Just keep an eye on things, and uh, more good news should be coming if I understand how this thing works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should be. I mean, we we were good, we're definitely going to have some announcements going into this week and some of the final pieces of the puzzle. And as William referred to it, I think most of it, most of the hay will be in the barn. There may be a handful of prospects that Alabama continues to recruit that might still, you know, uh, or that might not sign if they will have to continue to pursue on into February. But I think most of the hay will be in the barn, and then I think Alabama will be in very good shape. And I think. Uh, if they close with what we think could be possible, then I think uh, you know it could be a maybe a historic class uh, from the standpoint of the number of five stars and the number of uh, and, and as William said, really having no real weakness in the class uh, as they've been able to fill most of the positions if they can finish strong. Certainly, they're still going to leave some talent out there, some kids that they would have liked to have signed, but uh, that's always a good problem to have when you have more prospects than signing spots because you've uh, recruited so well. And Nick Saban and his staff continue to stockpile talent at the University of Alabama. And to close out, big win for Alabama basketball today, earlier this afternoon. I was not in Tuscaloosa, but watched it on television. Kyra Lewis, the incomparable freshman, 20 points as uh, he made two, you know a big uh, three-pointer and two big free throws down the stretch to seal that game against the Arizona Wildcats, 76-73. After the debacle on Tuesday that I did attend, where they blew a 22-point lead in 14 minutes to lose to Georgia State, it was big to get back on the horse and get a win today. Alabama now 6-3 and three on the season and will travel to my Rocket City of Huntsville uh, for the third annual Rocket City Classic, but that won't be till December the 18th due to finals coming up as Alabama will be in the Rocket City Classic against Liberty University, a team that just blew out. Uh, a few days before that, Georgia State. So certainly that'll be another challenging uh, game for Alabama to get themselves motivated for and to get a big win. Uh, but uh, we'll continue to monitor basketball as well, and we'll continue to monitor football recruiting and the staff movement here on BAMS Radio. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We talked a little recruiting today. We'll talk more next week. Everybody have a great rest of your Sunday and a great rest of your week. We appreciate you continuing to listen to our program. And, of course, everybody, Continue to have a great holiday season, but good night for Thomas Watson, William Redfish Barger, and Roll Tide.